1: Here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring.
0: And I'm Phil Edwards.
1: And Phil, I was all set to do this episode in the you know native Mesoamerican language that is featured in one of our films. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I found it that uh, with all of the three days of preparation I gave myself, it wasn't quite enough to master their entire language. So... I guess we'll just
0: I, I find you you need at least a week. Yeah,
1: yeah. And also I yeah. couldn't figure out how to get the subtitles to work with a podcast. So
0: <laughs> Yes, yeah. I
1: guess we'll just stick with doing it in English for this yeah, week. It's...
0: Oh hold on, can you hear that? I keep it's been happening all day, I keep hearing like music. It keeps coming and going really faintly in my ear.
1: Oh, interesting! No. I wonder what could be causing that.
0: No, it's going to That's really strange.
1: I'm sure it's not like something weird, though, like a miniaturized sub, like in your body that's you know <laughs> controlling bodily functions. I mean, that that that. Oh my! How, how does your mind
0: work? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> now, as you may have guessed from uh, our our silly little opening, well, it's actually quite clever for for me. I thought
1: silly, but yet. Yet charming, I have to imagine. Yes, and
0: incisive and straight to the point, because we are going after the ending of Apocalypto and Inner Space.
1: Yeah, two movies with long one-word titles.
0: Yes, yes, that's correct. Yeah. So could you go searching for Inner Space? You need to collect the two words to find the film. Otherwise, you just find all things about, you know, the space between atoms. Or or philosophy, even worse. And we'll also be doing our top ten films of 1983.
1: Yes, 1983 was an interesting year for films, I think.
0: Yeah, lots I'd seen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was sort of like a so-so kind of year, really, though.
1: Yeah, it felt like it was still trying to shake off the 70s. Do you know what I mean? No, that's, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I know exactly what you mean, yeah, yeah. It hadn't quite gotten to the greatness of the 80s, like from that 84 to 86 mm. period that are, like, really 80s-ish. This one still seemed like it had a little bit of the, the 70s kind
0: of hanging on. Yeah, some depressing films, but still some good fun films. Yeah, yeah. And just some what-the-hell-would-you-thinking films.
1: <laughs> right, And, and as a special treat, we're going to do something we don't do very often, except when big event movies come out. And in this case, we have recently seen a big event movie come out. So at the end of the episode, after everything, so that if you don't want to listen, you can still hear your, your favorite parts, your, your hundred years, your bloopers and everything. We are going to delve into our thoughts on Avengers Infinity War. Uh, I will tell you now, and I will remind you again later, it will be spoiler filled. We are going to ruin everything. So this part is really, this, this is really, really going to be only for uh, people who have seen the movie uh, or who just don't care about spoilers, but I can't imagine that for a film like this you won't want to. So it is a jam-packed, extra-sized episode, uh, and with that in
0: mind, Phil, why don't we jump into things? Let's do it. Let's kick things off, shall we, with Apocalypto. Do you want to give us a rundown of the events of that film?
1: I will. Apocalypto 2006, directed by Mel Gibson, starring a bunch of Native American and indigenous Mexican actors that no one's ever heard of. But they all do an amazing job. Oh, absolutely. It's just that there's no names that I could list. that Anyone's going to be like, oh, I like that guy. Yeah. So uh, the story goes around the early 1500s, we meet a jaguar paw and his fellow Mayan slash Mesoamerican tribesmen. Their village is raided by a group of more powerful Mayan tribesmen led by Zero Wolf, uh, who kill many of them and take jaguar paw and several of the men prisoner. Jaguar paw's pregnant wife and kids escape death by hiding. They march them through the jungle for days, facing many perils, in which several more of the men die. When they get to the Mayan raider's city, they see that it is ravaged by disease. Jaguar Paw and his men are about to be sacrificed to the gods when a solar eclipse happens, delaying their sacrifice. Before they can be killed, Jaguar Paw escapes. Zero Wolf and a group of tribesmen chase the injured Jaguar Paw, but he picks them off one by one. Finally, he gets to a beach, being chased by Zero Wolf and one other warrior— and they fall to their knees when they see giant Spanish galleons just off the beach, with conquistadors unloading giant wooden crosses. Jaguar Paw's wife gives birth, and she and the children almost drown, but Jaguar Paw saves them. The film ends with... I'm gonna call him JP at this point. I should have started that a lot earlier. <laughs> it is it
0: is weird how the jaguar part is. Isn't it? It's strange. Yeah,
1: and not like they call him that a lot during the film either. That's just what he's, he's yeah. credited as. So the film ends with JP and his family, which sounds now sounds like some like you know Laguna Beach like you know yeah. reality TV show also cast the whole dynamic off of the film, doesn't with it? like deck shoes and like a blazer. Like JP and his family are upset because their stocks went down by thirteen cents, and now they can't buy the Ferrari they want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a different movie. So anyway, J.P. and his family are overlooking the beach with the Spanish conquistadors. They decide not to approach them, instead turning into the jungle, and they go in search of a new home.
0: Very very nicely done. It was uh, because it's... Yeah, you explained it all very well, but it's one of those films where it's all about the visuals. Right. Because it, it is amazing, isn't it? It's... It's a great film, I think
1: I agree i it's it's you know the, the summation that I gave kind of sums up the big points, but this is like an action film with some just amazing sequences, you know hair raising you know hold your breath, exciting action sequences um and it's it's really a fantastic film. I mentioned last week that if you hadn't seen it yet, I highly recommend watching it, and i, I still hold to that it is it's really a lot of fun
0: yeah, because it 's not what you expect because when it first came out, everybody was you know they, they were making a thing about saying, oh it's all done in this uh, ancient language and you know so people were immediately going to go. Oh God! Oh, that's right. blah blah blah. But it's a big action adventure movie. It just happens. It just happens to be about this particular time, these particular people, these particular events. But it's uh, it's fantastic. To, uh, track it down if you haven't seen it.
1: Right. It's funny because I, I now that you mentioned that I do remember when the when you know the film came out in two thousand six, which I, I forgot yeah, it was yeah. that long ago. But I remember seeing the trailer for it. And they kind of made it as almost like a like a featurette where they sort of showed some behind the scenes footage of Mel Gibson directing these you know natives who had never acted before. Yeah, and yeah. It, it was a weird trailer. It didn't do much for me. I remember just being very uninterested in the film, uh, and I only ended up watching it on video. Uh, I had to review it, and I was like, "Oh, well, let's see what this is all about." And then I was just blown away by it. So, uh, really, a good film.
0: Yeah, because I know you mean the first trailer made it seem like it was just going to be almost like a documentary kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was very
0: strange marketing, but yeah. anyway.
1: All right, well, Phil, why don't you go ahead and take us into your day after?
0: Okay, Jaguar and his family move through the jungle as quickly as they dare. The recent events have made him even more cautious. They rest when they can, but constantly move away from the sea and the strange ships that approach them. The baby is doing well. They manage to get enough milk and food for all of them to, uh, to carry on. He's not sure how far they should go, and with no particular destination, they just keep moving. They eventually come to a large river, but with no way to cross it, they follow the riverbank. However, large alligator almost gets the eldest child, Turtle's Run, which causes them to flee back into the jungle. Eventually, they came to a small cave, and they all managed to rest. Jaguar Paul realized that they needed to find more people to be able to survive. The jungle was full of danger, and there was safety in numbers. And that's my day after. All
1: right, I like it. I'm, I'm interested to see where you're going to go
0: with that. Okay, what's going on, there with your day after?
1: Zero Wolf and his companion, Owl Feather look on in awe as the wooden ships continue to unload their cargo onto the beach. They've never seen anything like these monstrosities, and their minds are overwhelmed at first. They begin to pray to these strange white men, who are completely ignoring them. But then, Zero Wolf notices something strange. On the back of one of the men is a strange pink creature, with tentacle arms dug into the back of the white man. He stands up quickly and realizes that all of the men have these strange demons attached to them. He begins to yell commands at Owlfeather, and they rush the men with weapons drawn, yelling a war cry in their native language. The white men finally notice them, and as the two natives rush at them, one of them calmly pulls out a strange metal weapon, points it at the two warriors, and unleashes a strange beam on them. The last thought that goes through Zero Wolf's mind before he's completely vaporized is, I've never seen this strange color before. And that's my day after.
0: Well, I did not expect that. (laughs) But that's very cool. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. I I have my
1: reasons for... for, we're going into the, going in that direction but we'll get to that a little bit later so mm.
0: uh, meanwhile let's hear what's going on thank you well, thank you i thank want you. to rush through mine now to get to yours <laughs> <laughs> yeah most stuff happens and they're okay they're still in the jungle what goes on with yours <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad i could get you so excited phil uh, but let's
1: hear your let's hear your immediate aftermath in its entirety
0: okay the family stayed at the cave for a few days but they knew it would end up being a trap if they were caught in there so they headed off again and traveled north at one point, they came across some hunters from another tribe. Cautiously approaching them, Jaggiopore spoke and asked where they were from and whether they could join them. However, the hunters spoke of a, of strange crystal skulls and creatures from beyond. <laughs> Jaggiopore felt that all sounded rather silly, crazy, and probably dangerous. So they continued onwards, leaving the hunters far behind. That's my immediate aftermath.
1: I like it. So not only do you get in a dig at Indiana Jones, but you also uh, you do have a little alien element in yours as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, a
1: little bit. A little bit. All right. All
0: right. Yeah. Okay. Like what's it.
1: going on with yours and the uh, the tentacle monsters? Okay. Well, a few months later, the Mayan city is completely subjugated. Although the Mayans outnumbered the alien white men twenty to one, their strange energy weapons and superior technology made it easy for the aliens to overpower the Mayans in no time at all. The aliens cured the Mayans' disease instantly, which was at first seen as a blessing. Then it became clear that the aliens didn't cure them out of altruism. The Mayan men were being put to work as slaves, harvesting raw materials and starting construction on a structure that none of them could understand. The women and children had been tasked with harvesting food and preserving it. As construction continued on the strange structure, it began to take on a foreboding shape, that of a tower pointed at the heavens. Finally, the day came where the aliens did not come summon the men to work on the tower. It was finished. The new leader of the Mayans, a man named Foxtooth, breathed a sigh of relief at his first day of rest in over three months. He watched one of the aliens activate the strange machinery in the tower, which shot a huge beam of light into the sky, farther than his eyes could see. A few hours later, there was a commotion outside his hut. He rushed outside to see everyone looking at a giant metallic spaceship that was landing just outside the city. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh,
0: my God, that's just the immediate aftermath. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah,
1: you. still got the long term to get to. Yeah, yeah. Then it gets really good. Yeah. Hmm. I, I think, anyway.
0: All right. But meanwhile, speaking of long
1: terms, let's hear what's going on with yours.
0: Okay. After weeks of travel, the family came across a small tribe deep in the jungle. Jaguar waited for some of the tribe's people to approach him, and he was escorted to meet the chief. He was told that the tribe had lost some hunters during a recent hunt. But when Jaguarpoor asked what had happened, the chief didn't answer but moved on and said that Jaguarpoor and his family could join the tribe as it would be beneficial to all involved. A year passed and Jaguarpoor, seven, and the children were part of the tribe. Hunting was good and the tribe was doing well. It began to get warmer and less rain fell. It was the hottest they could ever remember it being, but the chief seemed worried. Jaguarpoor asked them what the problem was, but there was no answer. Eventually, Jaguarpoor and the other hunters were called before the chief. It seemed two hunters never returned. The chief explained that whenever the heat rose, demons from the sky appeared and took their best hunters. <laughs> this time, the tribe would fight back. Jaguar poor survival and journey to join the tribe was seen as a sign that they would win this battle against the unearthly predator. <laughs>
1: oh, I love, I love it. Aftermath. I love it. Always Thank a good time much. when you can tie a film into Predator. I mean, that's certainly something that we
0: are. Yeah, well, especially we fans in the jungle. Doing... I mean, and, oh, I mean, yeah. And Predator's set up that they've been around for many, many years.
1: Absolutely. It fits perfectly. It's, it could yeah. easily be a Predator prequel, without yeah. a doubt.
0: Well, Apocalypto, um, they could have done it. Imagine that would have been a good... They could have done it from, uh, from Dusk till Dawn kind of thing. You have this big drama about this tribe's people being taken by to these main sacrifice, being sacrificed on a pyramid. And you're going, oh, my God, this is amazing, blah, blah, blah. Suddenly, Predator, boom, and you'd be going, what the hell? Absol-
1: absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> or they come at the end, they come at the beach, and uh, just as the spaceship is landing, that would have been yeah. awesome. yeah. Very that's, cool. uh,
0: that, thank you very much. That was my ending. What about yours?
1: As the ship landed, the aliens started herding the men, women, and children into the ship's hold. Foxtooth panics and attacks the nearest alien, catching him by surprise and getting a hand on him. As their skins make contact, a rush of images flash through Foxtooth's mind, and he suddenly understands everything. The aliens had been traveling to their home planet when their ship was damaged. they had managed to repair it, but the delay had taken so long, they had depleted their food stores. The scout ship, which was actually the cause of the solar eclipse, had come to Earth in search of food and was damaged and crashed into the ocean. The aliens had survived and taken over a nearby sailing vessel and landed on the beaches here. The tower was needed to summon the mothership, and the Mayan people were going to be used to fix the food problem. No wonder the aliens had kept us well fed, Fox 2 thought as he died. Shortly thereafter, the entire Mayan city's population was aboard the ship, which took off into the stratosphere. Several miles away, Jaguar Paw and his wife looked up into the sky as they saw a burst of fire shoot into the heavens. They stared at it in awe for a few minutes, then turned back to their children and went about their
0: day. And that's the end. Very good, dark, but very good.
1: Thanks. So now we have uh, we have some understanding of why the Mayans disappeared.
0: That's probably what happened. You probably got uh, a spot on that. I yeah. think you did. But our hero,
1: Jaguar Paw and his family, live. They. That's it's a good. happy ending still for them that's good that is kind of why I decided to take this alien turn though was because the the whole what happened to the Mayans is this big mystery of history yeah, and yeah. there is sort of that whole connection with the children of the gods and, and all of that stuff and these, these pyramids and everything there's a lot of connection between the Mayan civilization and, and aliens at least in sort of popular folklore yeah, yeah so it seemed to make sense to me that uh, you know it would it would work in the context not of the film but in context of the ending it wasn't completely out of left field
0: no it works, works well and I like it. It does. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice change from you know what went before. But it's still, you know, it's a bit different. But it's still, yeah, very good. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right, Phil. So tell us, do you have any? I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. I got nothing. Do you have? (laughs) Do you have any trivia about the film commonly referred to as Apocalypto? apoc trivia no. All right, so do you have any trivia about Apocalypto, Phil? Yes,
0: I do. Uh, during filming, there was severe flooding in southern Mexico, which displaced at least one million people, uh, but the crew mucked in and helped with flood relief and put money towards th- helping out there, which was very good of them. Yeah. Uh, the amount of... It was shot on digital cameras, which they had to keep... Uh, they looked after really well because of the heat and the cold, so they used various, you know, space blankets, those... Foil things and had thermometers on them to make sure they were okay because this was still sort of the early days of digital, wasn't it? For yeah. Shooting yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. But anyway, the amount of digital footage shots equaled approximately 2 million feet of conventional film. Wow. So that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of film. Yes, yes it is. It was the last R-rated movie released under the Walt Disney banner. Hmm. And it's got, a, it's got a body count of, wait for it, 114. Wow. Uh, and Mel Gibson turned down the lead role in World Trade Center in order to direct apocalypto
1: probably a good choice yeah i think so because world trade center was both a box office bomb and kind of not a great
0: movie yeah all right that was apocalypto
1: very good let's move on then to inner space shall we phil why don't you remind people i'm sure everyone's seen this movie but some of them may may have been a long time since they've seen it so why don't you remind them what happens in this film
0: yeah, Inner Space, 1987, directed by Joe Dante. Okay, yeah, so we're in San Francisco, and Lieutenant Tuck Pendleton, played by Dennis Quaid, he signs up for a top-secret miniaturisation experiment. They put him in a submersible pod and shrink him down to be injected into a rabbit, but while he's waiting in a syringe, a rival organisation attacks the lab and steals lots of bits and pieces, but one of the doctors takes a syringe and escapes, but he ends up getting shot. But While in his dying moments, the doctor... Uh, injects the pod, which has Tuck Pendleton inside, into the backside of Jack Putter, played by Martin Short. He's a hypochondriac who works in a grocery store. Using the pod, Tuck ends up talking to Jack and tells him they need to get Tuck out before he runs out of air. But they need a microchip, which was stolen by the rival organisation, and the organisation is led by Victor Scrimshaw, played by Kevin McCarthy, and Dr Margaret Kanker, played by Fiona Lewis. They learn that a dodgy bloke called The Cowboy, played by Robert Picardo, is going to buy the chip, Jack teams up with Tuck's girlfriend, Lydia Maxwell, played by Meg Ryan. They capture the cowboy, and Tuck uses the technology of the pod to make Jack look like the cowboy. They go undercover, but get caught. Jack and Lydia kiss, and the pod is transferred to Lydia, unbeknownst to her. Jack and Lydia escape, uh, but they half shrink the bad guys, so they're they're half the size that they were. Tuck finds out that Lydia is pregnant with the child when he's inside her, and ends up letting her know that he's inside her by playing music, and gets passed back to Jack. They end up getting Tuck back to normal before he runs out of air. And we end with Tuck and Lydia's wedding. Tuck is wearing the chips, the microchips, as cufflinks. Tuck and Lydia get into the uh, the limousine, which is taken off to the honeymoon. But unbeknownst to them, the cowboy is the driver and he stashed Victor, well, the smaller Victor and Margaret, in the boot. But Jack realizes what's going on and drives off to the rescue in Tuck's Mustang. And that's a whole lot of Tuck and Jack.
1: It <laughs> sure is. Nicely done, though. A complicated film, it seems like, when you try and summarize it. For yeah, sure.
0: yeah, it is really because I was just going to go, oh, this guy gets shrunk puts in that. And then I <laughs> right. went, well, no, actually, you need to know that these people, this and that, for this. Yeah. Anyway, but that's yep. what happens. Very good. So uh, that's uh, that's in the space. What do you think of the film? I oh, I
1: love this film. It's a lot of fun. It was one of my favorites as a kid. I mean, you know, it's been. I'll say it's been a few years since I've watched it, but in the in the late '80s, early '90s, I probably wore out my my
0: VHS tape copy of it because it is a film that I I really did love. Yeah, it's lots of fun and it's a nice concept and uh, some good moments. I, I saw it last year with my daughter, and we both really enjoyed it. It's right. uh, it's, it's aged rather well still, and it's a great performance. It's very funny.
1: Yeah, I think this is yeah. the film that made me a Dennis Quaid fan, and I've never, yeah, yeah. since then, never, I've never not been a Dennis Quaid fan.
0: Yeah, yeah, but that's what happened in the film. What have you got happening on the day after?
1: Okay, well, a guitar-fueled Kenny Loggins song <laughs> kicks into high gear as Jack tears out of the parking lot and tucks Mustang. In a few moments, he manages to pull up next to the limousine. Tuck and Lydia roll down their window, and Jack hysterically tries to point out the cowboy, but he's so crazed that they can't figure out what he's saying. The cowboy sees Jack and swerves the limo into the Mustang, which causes Tuck to realize who's driving. He lowers the tinted partition, wraps his arm around the cowboy's neck, and chokes him out. But the limo loses control and flips over. When the dust settles, the police arrive and take the cowboy into custody, as well as Kanker and Scrimshaw from the trunk— Jack rushes over to help Tuck and Lydia, and as he pulls Lydia out of the wreck, he's relieved to see that she's okay. With the help of the paramedics, Jack pulls Tuck out from the wreck, but he's unconscious. Oh, no. And that's, that's where we're going to leave it for now. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, meanwhile, what's going on in your day after?
0: Okay. Jack chases after the limousine, and a few miles down the road, he finds the car. Screeching to a halt, he gets out to find Tuck and Lydia standing over an unconscious cowboy. See? I told you you'd get here, said Tuck. Seeing his two friends are okay, Jack hugged them. Come on, let's get you to the airport, he said, ushering them into the Mustang. I'll call the authorities from the airport. They left all the luggage in the car. They thought, what the hell, we'll buy new stuff when we're there. As they drove, Lydia explained how she had spotted the cowboy and told Tuck. They tricked him and knocked him out. They'd also heard some noises in the boot, but decided not to bother with that. Yeah, said Tuck. We're not idiots, we spotted them, and we took them out. Jack dropped off his friends, called on the news of the cowboy ...and headed home. Back in his small apartment, he had something to eat, took a shower and sat watching some TV, but he felt bored. He was a changed man. Suddenly the room went cold and there was a blinding flash. Jack jumped up as there was now a grizzled looking man standing before him. The man was wearing some kind of military uniform, but Jack's attention was drawn to the fact the man appeared to have a metal arm and was carrying a large, futuristic-looking rifle. (laughs) Jack, asked the man. My name is Nathan Pendleton. I'm the son of Tuck and Lydia. I've come from the future, and I need your help. (laughs) That's my uh, day after.
1: All right, I like it's uh, like a hybrid of cable <laughs> from the X Men universe and yeah. Interspace. I like it. I dig yeah. it.
0: Yeah, fun. H- hence the way, that's why it's called Nathan.
1: But the uh, but the fact that that he was Jack and Lydia's son, uh, I thought it was cool that you tied it back into the Interspace universe. So well Thank done, well played, sir. Well played.
0: Thank you. But what's going on uh, with uh with what's happening with the immediate aftermath?
1: Well, Lydia opens her eyes and finds herself in a hospital bed with Jack sitting next to her. Is the baby okay? Lydia asks. Perfectly fine, Jack tells her, and she breathes a sigh of relief. Then Jack takes a deep breath and says, Tuck is in a coma. There's swelling in his brain, and the doctors can't get to the blockage to relieve the pressure because of where it's located. But we have a plan. A few hours later, Jack is at the helm of the pod, about to be injected into Tuck's body, as a Madonna-esque ballad plays softly in the background. (laughs) Be careful, Lydia says over the pod's intercom. Don't worry, Jack replies. Tuck has been training me on using the pod over the past few months. I've run the simulator a dozen times. I've got this. And with that, Dr. Blair, the new man in charge of the miniaturization project, injects Jack into Tuck's veins. After Jack gets to the brain, the surgery goes off without a hitch. Jack breaks up the blockage and relieves the pressure in Tuck's brain. He tries to reach Lydia and Dr. Blair to share the good news, but there's no response. Concerned, he connects to Tuck's brain again and takes control of his body, subtly opening one of Tuck's eyes. He's shocked to see that there is a strange man in a lab coat holding Lydia and Dr. Blair at gunpoint. Mm. And that's my immediate aftermath. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, let's hear what's going on with your immediate aftermath then. Okay.
0: Not knowing quite what to do, Jack had made some popcorn and margaritas, which he ate and drank as Nathan talked. It seemed that the miniaturization tech had been developed and eventually gone public. It had revolutionised transport, medicine, storage and so much more. For a while the future looked bright, but then the technology had been misused. People had been killed, governments destabilised and the world had fallen into anarchy. The technology was also reversed and used to enlarge creatures and insects. They would all run amok and also part of Earth's crust had been destroyed in a miniaturisation explosion causing huge damage to the environment. Nathan and some fellow mercenaries had tried their best to change things, but it was too late. However, they had found an experimental time machine... And Nathan remembered how his father had always talked about how Jack Putter had been a true hero. I need you to come with me on a small time jump five years into the future, said Nathan. Together we may be able to save the world. Jack finished his cocktail, jumped up and shouted, I'm in. And that's uh, my immediate aftermath.
1: I like it. I like it. Keeping with the spirit of the film, good adventure, some time travel. Why not?
0: Yep, yep. But uh, what's going on with you? What's happening to Jack's, Now, what's happened to Tuck's body with Jack inside him?
1: Okay, well, Jack activates Tuck's hearing and quickly figures out what's going on. Those idiots couldn't do anything right. Get me the shrinking technology, I told them, but they failed miserably. I should have known better than to trust a man in a cowboy hat. The man speaking has his back turned to Tuck's body, so he doesn't notice Tuck, controlled by Jack, slowly getting out of the bed. With the awkward gait of a baby deer, Tuck's body Frankenstein walks over to the ranting man. He knocks the gun from the man's hands. The man turns to face him and throws an awkward punch. Soon, the fight between the weird scientist guy and the jack-controlled tuck zombie turns into something resembling a breakdancing battle. <laughs> and, I could
0: see that. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah.
1: I had it in my head. I, I could really picture it.
0: That would be really good.
1: Yeah. An old-school rap-slash-hip-hop song begins to play, heightening the action. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the scientist guy, gaining no upper hand, yells out, Forget it! I'll invent it myself! Dr. Lizardo needs help from no man! then runs out the door. Yeah, oh, brilliant. A few hours later, Jack is back to regular size. Tuck wakes up and Lydia is crying tears of joy. Tuck looks at Lydia and Jack and says, I think our honeymoon plane tickets were non-refundable. <laughs> Lydia and Jack laugh and a synthesizer-heavy pop song begins to play
0: as the credits roll. Oh. And that's the end. Excellent. And I like the Buckaroo Bonsai reference as well. Very, Thank you. Very good.
1: Thank you. I'm not even the biggest Buckaroo Bonsai fan, but once I got the idea in my head, I kind of I couldn't get rid of it. So yeah. I like the idea of John Lithgow fighting with... Uh, yeah. Dennis Quaid in like a, a breakdance like break battle that'd battle. be amazing yeah, yeah that that's something I would pay money to see <laughs> <laughs>
0: ah brilliant thank you
1: so alright let's hear how years wraps up I want to hear about this time travel adventure with uh, Cable 2.0 and and Martin Short okay. <laughs> which is an interesting combination
0: well Tuck and Lydia were back from their honeymoon it had been perfect and they felt incredibly relaxed returning home they began work on decorating the nursery a few days had passed when Lydia asked Tuck if he had heard from Jack neither of them had Tuck called round to Jack's apartment the next day but there was no sign of him. They called round a few people, but nobody had heard from him in a while. That night, Tuck and Lydia decided they would report Jack as a missing person the next day. In the early hours of the morning, they were woken by a knocking at the door. It was Jack. He hugged them and hushed their questions until they were sat in the kitchen drinking coffee. Right, said Jack. Have I got a story for you? And that's how it ends. Oh, I like it. Yes.
1: Very inner space-esque.
0: Yes, I, I just... Uh, I was thinking about going to the whole all his adventures, but now he just turns up. He's a change man again, and boom!
1: Yeah, I dig it. All right, well that's uh, that's inner space.
0: Phil, take us to trivia space. This was the only Joe Dante film to win an Oscar, and it won it for best visual effects. Very cool. Uh, William Shatner played Jack's doctor in inner space. He also played the doctor in the Incredible Shrinking Man. Oh, that's in funny. 1957, which is nice. Uh, at one point, John Carpenter was attached to direct. Uh, when it was going to be, it was going to be more like of a sci-fi thriller with uh, with talks, of maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger playing a Jack kind of character, and he gets a pod injected to him, piloted by somebody like Michael J. Fox. Hmm. Which so it's then they re, they rejected all as a sci-fi comedy, and it was all the better for it, I imagine. Uh, yeah. And Rick Moranis was uh, considered to play Jack Putter, but that didn't come to pass. That's inner space.
1: Very good. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our endings. And so we will move on to our next part of the show, which is 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 Episodes, wherein Phil and I take a year from the past century of Hollywood and share our top 10 films. This week, we are talking about 1983. So, Phil, why don't you climb into your trusty time machine and take us back to the beginning of the 80s? Yes, let's go
0: right back. Okay. Yes, 1983, the UK Prime Minister was Margaret Thatcher, and the U.S. president was Ronald Reagan. Uh, saw the debut of Fraggle Rock. Uh, here in the U.K., seatbelt use for drivers and front seat passengers became mandatory. The final episode of MASH aired and was seen by an audience of at least 125 million people, one of the biggest uh, viewings of all time. The 3D printer was invented by Chuck Hill. So way back in 1983, that came about. Yeah, crazy.
1: <laughs> too, bad was, too bad there was no internet to print anything yeah,
0: yeah. interesting i remember wrong. this thing. We can print anything. Right. What can you print? Uh... Okay, I'll get back to you in a few years. I can print thick paper. <laughs> yeah, I can, I've can. printed a block of plastic. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, the Tokyo Disneyland opened. Uh, Sally Ride was the first US woman in space aboard the, the Space Shuttle Challenger. And Guillaume Bluford was the first African American in space on the same uh, shuttle. Dragon's Lair was released in arcades. I love that game. Oh, yeah. There were many, many uh, faults and failures in numerous nuclear power stations all around the world. It wasn't wasn't a good year for nuclear power. (laughs) Right. Six men walked underwater across Sydney Harbour. They walked 82.9 kilometres in 48 hours. I have no idea why they did that. (laughs) I don't either. Kiss. Yeah. Kiss officially appeared in public without makeup for the first time on NTV. Wow. Uh, for those uh, younger listeners, MTV used to play music videos. Right. Uh, the first Hooters restaurant opened in Clearwater, Florida. Michael Jackson's Thriller debuted on MTV, and McDonald's introduced to McNugget. We also saw the birth of Kate Bosworth, Brett Dalton, Tessa Thompson, Jesse Eisenberg, Felicity Jones, Adam Driver, Andrew Garfield, Donald Glover, Mila Kunis, Emily Blunt, Kate Mara, Rafe Spall, uh, Ashley Johnson, Chris Hemsworth, Donald Gleeson, Jamie Chung, Gugu Mbuth Theroux, and Henry Cavill. And we sadly saw the deaths of Billy Fury, Karen Carpenter, Tennessee Williams, Gloria Swanson, Slim Pickens, Ira Gershwin, Carolyn Jones, David Niven, Norma Shearer, Buster Crabb, Muddy Waters, and that's all of them. Yeah.
1: All right, Phil, well, I'll let you start this week. Why don't you give us your number 10?
0: Okay, my number 10 is a double whammy. One of the films, uh, well, Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone is one of them, which is Peter Strauss and Molly Ringwald going up against an evil Michael Ironside on a distant planet. It's not the best film. It's not even that good a film, but I watched the hell out of it when I was a kid. Yeah. Because it's space, it's cool, you know, with all these different aliens, scary things, and Michael Ironside chewing all the scenery as, as uh, Overdog. Just just lots of fun. I just watched it loads of times. And then the other one for my number 10 is Videodrome, David Cronenberg, James Wooden, Debbie Harry, as this alternate TV signal which mutates people and long lived the new flesh. It's got some, it's classic Cronenberg body horror. Uh, some disgusting moments, but uh, good performances, very weird. And I watched that not when I was a kid, but later on, and just I just really dug that one. So that's my number 10 Space Hunter and Video Drone.
1: Very good. I have a feeling Space Hunter would be on your list. I know that you mentioned that we did our top five spaceships, I think it was. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: It's like a cool, weird kind of design, yeah. yeah. I, I know you have a
1: soft spot for that one. I haven't seen either of those still, so i gotta oh, get, uh, I got to get, go. get on it. Yeah, get on. I mean, I've only, had, I've only had like 35 years to catch up <laughs> on them, so give me some time, all right?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll let you off. There's, there's lots of films. I appreciate it. Okay, that. what's your number 10, though?
1: My number 10 is a film we have gone after the ending of. I have no idea when, but you're good for that stuff, so I'll say it. It is War Games, starring Matthew Broderick. That was episode six. There you go. So that was one of our earliest after the endings. Wow. Yes, right. it
0: was. Yes. yes. Uh,
1: so, so I would say go back and listen to that if you want to hear it. But don't judge us because we were still finding our way as a podcast back then. <laughs> um, but I like war games. It is not a film that I find holds up immensely well. But it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't not hold up either. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. the technology is dated. I, I still find it a fun film. The whole "Do you want to play a game?" thing. I like the concept of it. It's it's a little slow in that eighties ish way. Um, but I dig it and I dig Matthew Broderick when he was still young and talented. So it's my number 10.
0: No good pick. My number nine is a Tony Scott film. It's the hunger, which stars Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie and Susan Sarandon, all about a uh, love triangle between some vampires. It's very stylish, very cool. Um, uh, very sexy as well in places, but, uh, it's a cool, different, slightly different take on the, uh, the vampire kind of film. And, uh, Tony Scott always had this, this cool look to his films and it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit, bit odd in places, but uh, I always enjoy it.
1: Good pick. All right. My number nine is Twilight Zone, the movie. Oh, yeah. So it was a a four-part, it was an anthology movie with four parts. Uh, they were Each segment was directed by a heck of a director. You've got George Miller, Joe Dante, uh, John Landis, and Steven Spielberg each tackling one of the chapters. So, I mean, that right there tells you something. But I always just really liked this movie. I was a huge Twilight Zone fan growing up. Thought this movie, you know, was was neat to see it on the big screen and in color. Um, and I just, I absolutely love the the remake of the old William Shatner episode, which is one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes. And the the movie version with, uh, I believe, John Lithgow. At that yeah, one.
0: that's right. Yeah, yeah.
1: The movie version with John Lithgow is super creepy. And uh, so that one, that one was always my favorite. And that kind of propels this whole movie onto my list.
0: An excellent choice. Didn't make my list. Almost did, but uh, I do, I do like that. I always like the Twilight Zone. And funny enough, a couple of days ago, I was talking about that with my daughter. The uh... The one, you know, it's the kid who can alter reality.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm,
0: yep. Yeah, I remember just talking about that, explaining that kind of thing, because we were talking about the Infinity Gauntlets and things like that. and right, just, right. It just seemed to lead on to that, but she was fascinated by it, so I think uh, when she's a bit older, she'll start watching The Twilight Zone. Some some cracking stories, isn't that, Oh, yeah, for oh, sure. Series, yeah. But a good choice. Okay, my number eight is a film directed by Douglas Trumbull. It's called Brainstorm, which stars Christopher Walken and Natalie Wood in their final film role. Uh, they play some scientists who invent this machine, which you put on your head. And it can record a person's brain and you can then put it on tape and then you can put it on experience what uh, that person did. It's a bit like, it's a similar concept to what was in uh, Strange Days, but this is just done in its, uh, in a cool, it's just, it's in a down-to-earth kind of manner. And it's uh, it's, it's Christopher Walker not being super weird, uh, Natalie Wood, great actress. Uh, you just start seeing that they've got this technology and they start realising it might be misused and then somebody has a heart attack, one of the scientists has a heart attack but manages to get this thing on and records their last moments and then that's all that comes into it as well, this tape showing what happens after you, after you die and things like that but it's a fascinating film, uh, I always enjoy watching it, it's a cool bit of uh, sci-fi, I wouldn't say, I think they tried to be realistic because they can because it's got this it's a crazy kind of helmet, it's a little bit weird but uh, it's worth seeing if you haven't uh, watched, it's often on late at night over here or like BBC2 and things like that but it's uh that's brainstorm is my number 8.
1: Very good. Well, we're uh what four films into your list already I haven't seen any of them yet. So hopefully that's <laughs> going to change soon but I think it all, will yeah. All <laughs> films I'm familiar with and I just haven't gotten around to watching them yet.
0: Yeah, lots of them are the ones because there's always those kind of films you go, "Oh yeah, I know that one" and then you go, "But I've not actually seen it." Right, right, exactly. So what have you got for your number 8?
1: My number 8 is Sleepaway Camp. One of the um Greatest cult horror films of the '80s, if you will. Now, now I, I don't want to digress too much, but I have to say, this is one of those films that was a very experiential thing for me. It was uh, I was in high school, hanging out with a couple of of friends, uh, and they were big horror fans. And at that point in my life, I was not. I didn't really start watching horror films really until I was in like my early 20s, kind of getting into it a little bit in my teen years. So it was one of those nights there was like, you know, what are we going to watch? There's nothing good. So they they were like, oh, you've got to see Sleepaway Camp. It's it's great. It's so funny, this and that. And so I had no idea what it was, never even heard of it. Yeah. Um, and I watched it. And it was one of those experiences where we just all sat there sort of laughing and making fun of it and and watching it and just having a really good time. And then it has this this last scene shot, which if you haven't <laughs> seen the movie, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it is like the thing of horror legends. I mean, it's really, it's both the the greatest and the worst shot i've ever seen in a horror film in my life and that kind of cemented it for me as just one of the great all-time horror films so it's not a great great film it's a slasher film for the most part with a sort of really twisty ending but i have very fond memories of it and they did do a whole trilogy of the films which i which i like so uh, it's a lot of fun as a slasher flick and it brings back a lot of fun memories for me
0: that's that's a good choice didn't make my list purely because i've never actually seen it all the way through and once i think i've always seen bits and pieces and i've I know I've seen the end scene as well, and it's. Uh, right. I've never sat down and watched it in one go though.
1: I mean, that's probably a fair way to watch and it's, it. It's, I think it's actually a pretty good slasher flick for the early. Well, I've 80s. Enjoy, I enjoyed what I saw. Yeah, whenever yeah. I've
0: seen a bit of it, but I've always like come into it too late, or you know, just right. things like that. Right, exactly. But a good choice. Okay, my number seven. It's uh, it's another double whammy. It's a couple of uh, British films. The first one is Educating Rita, based on a Willie Russell play, which stars Michael Caine and Julie Walters. Uh, she's a Liverpool working class woman who wants who goes to study literature at university. And her professor is uh, Michael Caine, who's a bit jaded and everything, and a bit of a alcoholic. But uh, she ends up—he sees her passion, and it sort of reignites his as well. It's a good, it's a great jar, it's a great drama with lots of funny moments as well. And Julie Walters and Michael Caine are just superb. And the other part of this one of my number seven is Local Hero, written and directed by Bill Forsyth, stars Dennis Lawson and Bert Lancaster. All about this executive going to this small town in Scotland, or small village in Scotland. Uh, for the Soil Company, but he ends up falling in love with the locals and and just changes the way he is. But it's a beautiful film, funny as well, but just one of those ones which shows a small village changing this, you know, this big businessman all for the better.
1: Now, I know that Local Hero is a very well-regarded film in England. I've heard it talked about many, yeah, many yeah. times. I don't think it has quite the same reach here in America. Yeah. Um, yeah but that's absolutely. just I'm just I'm just using that as an excuse for the fact that I still haven't seen a single film on your list.
0: So. <laughs> okay. Oh, we're getting there. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll see that. Right. And also,
1: <laughs> it, your your choices make my list, my next choice sounds so much more lowbrow than I wanted it to, but uh, <laughs>
0: It's not about, it's just what we enjoy. Yeah, I know, all. I
1: know. I've, I, I, I have no pride, uh, nor do I have any shame. So my next, <laughs> my number seven pick is my first, maybe, I can't remember, I think it's my first ever triple whammy. It's a three-way tie. Okay. And there's a reason for that. And it is three sequels that are widely considered very inferior, but that I happen to enjoy or have soft spots for. Yeah, all yeah. Of them. They are Octopussy, Superman 3, and Jaws 3. Or Jaws 3D, if you want to call it that. <laughs> now, Octopussy, I actually think is a good James Bond film. I like it. It has some weak moments, but I, I do enjoy it quite a bit. Can't believe they got away with that name, but um, yeah, yeah. anyway, Superman 3 has a lot of flaws, but it has some great sequences in it as well. I love Clark Kent going back to Smallville. I love him fighting like the evil version of himself in the trash yard. Uh, I don't like Richard Pryor in it, but it has some cool moments, and and so I, I do enjoy it. Uh, and then Jaws 3D is a terrible, terrible film, um, but it has Dennis <laughs> Quaid, who I like. And as yeah, I mentioned yeah, yeah. on the show before, uh, it was filmed at SeaWorld right around the corner from my house, and I... I or I wasn't there for the filming, but I have remember going to SeaWorld as a kid and seeing they had a lot of exhibits from the film and props and sets and stuff like that. And so um, I was just obsessed with this movie when I was a kid. So it takes me back because I get to see what SeaWorld was like in the 80s when I watched this film. So that's a a big nostalgia pick. So there you go.
0: Three sequels, not well-loved films, but I do enjoy all of them in some form or another. That's uh, good choices. Uh, I can see why I know exactly what you mean. Uh, My number six is War Games. You've already mentioned it. As you say, it's not aged... Not only it's the best, but it's still got good moments, the whole the whole bit, you know, and he realizes that he's actually been hacking into the wrong thing and how how extreme it is and then you realize that this AI could destroy the world. Some some great moments, but some I, this, I know exactly what you mean with the slow moments. But that's uh, that's my number six.
1: Yeah, it's it's still a good film for sure.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, my number
1: six really epitomizes the '80s, I think, and 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 especially the early '80s. It is Blue Thunder, starring Roy Scheider, in which our hero takes a uh, a, a technologically superior helicopter. Uh, and fights bad guys with it. It's kind of right along the lines of your your airwolf, your knight rider, yeah. you know that kind of stuff. Uh, it's except it's a movie form instead of a, a TV show.
0: It, beca- form. it became a TV show, didn't it? Yeah, something? but not a very long lived one, as I yeah. Recall. It wasn't very good the, the TV show.
1: But me. I um I never saw the movie growing up. Actually, I only watched it for the first time a handful of years ago. I think when it came out on. DVD or Blu-ray, but uh, I was actually surprised by how well it holds up. Largely due to the fact, I think, that Roy Scheider is fantastic. I mean, he's a great actor. Yeah, yeah. But the, the design of the helicopter is pretty cool, but it it's not a film that overly relies on the technology. It has a good story in it, and it has some really great action sequences.
0: Yeah, because it's all like a conspiracy thing, isn't it? They discover, they see something, yes. like what I remember. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, mostly
1: yeah. what, it, it's technologically advanced because it has some a few computer-y things, and it kind of like, looks like it
0: glows in the dark a little bit. Yeah, night vision stuff yeah.
1: Right. But it's not doing crazy things like, you know, dimension hopping or time travel or anything like that. So it's it's kind of a grounded in reality sci-fi. It's not even a sci-fi film. It's more of like a yeah. slightly futuristic military thriller type thing. Police wait thriller. until we go
0: after the ending of it and there'll be all of those things.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it will. But uh that is a good future after the ending for sure. But I really I really do like the movie. I think it holds up very well. So that's my number six.
0: Excellent. and um, my number five, it's a double whammy, one of them has been on your list already uh Superman three uh, I know exactly what you mean it 's not the best one, but I love the uh the junkyard fights between Clark and superman yeah I just uh, I think that's one of the that's one of the best moments from any superman film in my opinion it's one Absolutely. Great fight. Just and very comic act- book esque, you know. Yeah, but it's superbly acted by Christopher Reeve in both parts. Uh, I know what you mean Richard Pryor. Just he overwhelms; it. he's just too much. I like Richard Pryor, but he's just too much, and it all gets a little bit silly. But uh, well, it often does in Superman comics, so I can't complain about that. But right, that's uh, yeah. And the other part is uh, John Carpenter's Christine, mm-hmm. which uh, I, I always enjoy. I like the whole concept of a killer car, but it's I don't never feel it's quite as good as uh, many of other. John Carpenter's films. I, I agree. Yeah, it's a bit. I always, remember, I always feel a little bit disappointed with it, but I enjoy the bits, especially the bit when he goes, Show me, and Christine Fix repairs herself and all that kind of stuff and all the the history behind it. Puts yeah, it. that is a great effect sequence. But that's uh, that's uh my number five.
1: No, I, I agree with you and Christina It didn't make my list for that reason. I like the film, uh, and that sequence is really cool when she repairs herself. But as a whole, the film just doesn't quite have that that bite that makes it really, really great. It's missing yeah. something. Yeah, but, yeah, it is. But it's, it? Yeah. it's still a fun film. I, I enjoy it. All right, well, my number five is a comedy starring Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy, and it is, of course, Trading Places, directed by the great John Landis. So I guess he makes two appearances on my list, John Landis. <laughs> us, along with the uh the Twilight Zone movie. But um I mean it's just a great funny classic eighties comedy. I don't know that I need to say a whole lot more about it. I mean it's it's Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd at their prime. It's extremely funny, it holds up very well, and I have a sneaking suspicion it might not be the last we hear of it just yet. <laughs> we we shall see. <laughs> we shall see.
0: Uh, okay. My uh my number four it's uh, the second Christopher Walken film on my list. It is uh, the Dead Zone. Ah, yes. Oh, and it's a second David Cronenberg film as well. Oh, that's right. This one sees uh, Christopher Walken get involved in a car accident. He's in a coma. When he wakes up, when he touches someone, he can uh, he has the psychic ability to learn their darkest secrets. Uh, so we we follow him through this. He tracks down a serial killer and a few other bits, and then he shakes hands with Martin Sheen's character, who's running uh, for office. And he sees a terrible future and then uh, he does his Christopher Walken does his best to try and stop that future coming to pass. Great film, based on a, a really good Stephen King book.
1: Yeah, your second your second Stephen King also.
0: Oh yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because of Christine. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Wow, it's a lot it's a lot of seconds on this one. Right. But it's uh, really good. Christopher Walken, it's he was perfectly cast in this one. It also became a TV show. Yeah, that was
1: and it like, ran for several that, seasons, about five seasons, I think.
0: Yeah, I remember really enjoying that as well. But right. uh yeah, the Dead Zone, it's a great concept, done extremely well. And uh, very chilling in places. This is one of those films.
1: This is one of those films that I have actually really wanted to see for a very long time because I haven't seen it yet, and I haven't been able to get my hands on it for a long time. So, I mean, I know it's out there. It's just never come across my desk conveniently. But I really do want to see it. I've, you know, I've heard for years that it's great, and I love the book that it's based on. So gotta get off my butt or or on my butt more accurately because that's I it yeah you need to sit to down, much down more, much yeah, more exactly <laughs> all right well my number four is national lampoon's vacation uh, of course starring chevy chase and um yeah i mean another one it's kind of like it's vacation it's an extremely famous well-known well-loved film it launched a bunch of sequels that were inferior uh, but the first one is really great i think it holds up pretty darn well, um, and I love the revamp, reboot, sequel, whatever you want to call it, that came out a couple of years ago with Ed Helms. So, that's my number four, Vacation.
0: A good choice. It almost made my list, but not quite, because I don't know what is. I'm always slightly disappointed by it. It's never quite as good as I either remember or expected it to be.
1: See, I think because I didn't watch it growing up, I, I saw it later, and I think it actually gets a little funnier
0: every time I see it. Yeah.
1: But Maybe I still I'm, like the remake been,
0: better. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I need to watch it again. Uh, okay, my number three, you've already mentioned it, is Trading Places. I've watched it so many times. There's so many funny moments, so many cool lines. And Jamie Lee Curtis, when I was a teenager, he has a really good film. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really... Uh, it's a good plot as well, even though I'm still at the end, even now, I'm still watching it at the end when the trading's going on. I'm still going... Well, what exactly is going on? They bought it, they sell yeah, it. I'm right. still not sure. But yeah. anyway, the, the fun slips of paper, but it's still really funny with great support and cast as well. Everybody involved was uh, top of the game for this one. Indeed.
1: All right, well, my number three marks my third comedy in a row. It's a trilogy of comedies on my list. It is Mr. Mom starring Michael Keaton. Uh, which um, I think conceptually is horribly dated. Uh, you know, this whole yeah, thing yeah. of him being like a stay-at-home dad and how it's a complete disaster. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that the gender roles in it are going to hold up particularly well in today's society. But that said, it is a movie that I, I really loved from my childhood. I think Michael Keaton, it really is terrific. And even though this is back when he was mostly known for comedy... I think watching it now, you can still see what a great actor he is and what a great performance he gives. You know, just because somebody's in a comedic movie doesn't mean they're not giving a great performance.
0: Yeah. Well, he adds. He always added a lot more depth to just the comedy roles. There was a lot more going on. He made them more like a real person.
1: Exactly. And the film has a great supporting cast. Uh, and and I just, I really like it. So, uh, like I said, gender politics aside, it's a really fun movie. So that's my number three.
0: An excellent film. Uh Purely didn't make my list because it's just been such a long time since I've seen it, and I really I really don't remember. I remember enjoying it when I watched it, but don't remember enough to to put it down on my list. Right. But I'm glad it made yours. Okay, my number two is The Right Stuff, a huge epic drama all about uh, the test pilots and the first astronauts going into space. A huge cast. You've got Ed Harris, Scott Glenn, Lance Henriksen, Dennis Quaid again, Sam Shepard, Barbara Hershey. So many people more, it just, it's just done so well. You're just taken through this. It's like a whole history lesson, but it's enjoyable. It's You see the characters, you see how, how they all got on. You see that they were real people, but they were so brave doing what they did. Some of them, you know, slightly, you've got to, you've got, you've got to be, you know, right on the edge of, of, you've got to know your limits to do these things, but they did it and pushed through those limits when it's a, superb film and i really recommend you watching it if you haven't seen it yet excellent pick i'm going to add that to the list of movies i still haven't seen yet. You've not seen the right stuff oh man you need to watch it so good so good well
1: here's the thing here's the thing i i tried watching it once a long time ago and i was bored to tears and i never finished it and so i have it in my pile of movies to watch Ah, yeah. and i just am always hesitant because i'm like uh am i gonna be you know
0: well it's 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 just you just gotta go with yeah it.
1: i'll get i'll get to it All right, on my number two, as we get to my number two, I I have a feeling I know what both of our number ones is, (laughs) which means I'm a surprise to find that my number two is not on your list. Equally as surprised uh, as I am to find it on my list. Uh, And that is because it is a film by a director I don't generally like, starring an actor I don't generally care that much for. It is The King of Comedy, starring Robert De Niro and Jerry Lewis, and directed by Martin Scorsese. Oh,
0: an excellent choice. Yeah, it didn't didn't quite make my list because... I always find it a bit too bleak.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. I really like this movie. I only saw it for the first time a handful of years ago. Um, But, you know, it's about a stand-up comedian who can't get a break, so he kidnaps a TV show host in order to get on his show – and it's it's got some echoes of real life nowadays. You know, there's definitely, oh, totally, a, 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 it's definitely yeah. a, a timelier film, even though it came out in the late 70s. But uh, I really like it. It's not really a comedy, but it's not. It does have some funny moments in it anyway. Uh, but Robert De Niro is great as this frustrated stand up comedian. Uh, Jerry Lewis is really good as this kidnapped TV show host. And I, I just I really like the film. It's a cool concept. It's well executed well written and um i was very surprised when i watched it and enjoyed it as much as i do because i just don't generally dig on
0: scorsese's films but uh this is one i really really like yeah no it's it is a very good film but as i say just doesn't quite it's one of those ones i watch and i go i i enjoy it but at the end of it i'm always going oh
1: yeah yeah i get you i don't i, I didn't have that reaction to it but okay i mean it's fair
0: yeah yeah oh, it's fine but okay my number one uh, is probably uh well it's obviously isn't it strange Brew. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there who love that movie. I wouldn't know because, like everything from 1983, I haven't seen it.
0: I really like that movie. It didn't it almost made my list, but didn't? As did Risky Business and Scarface and Terms of Endearments.
1: Yeah, I have a I have a bunch of near misses on mine like that as well. The Outsiders, Risky Business, yeah, some good
0: and Zelig as well. I wanted I wanted to put them all, but it was all going to be like triple whammies. Otherwise, we thought, no, can't do. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, my number one, and I assume it's going to be Mike's as well, is Return of the Jedi.
1: That is it. Okay, thanks. That's it for this episode. We're all done. Yeah, we, it's kind of like, what else are you going to say? I mean, Return of the Jedi. It's, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the original classic Star Wars trilogy.
0: Yeah, and that's when the, when the first trilogy was finished. Return of the Jedi was the weakest Star Wars film we'd ever had. Uh, but since then, there have been many <laughs> yeah. weaker ones.
1: Right. But, and here's the thing. I mean, yes. But it's, it's still really good anyway. It, exactly. Weak it's weak compared to the first two, but it's still a yeah. great film. I still love that movie. The whole Jabba sequence with the, the Sarlacc and the skiff, you know, a sailor. Yeah, uh, the, and, the and Luke and in the
0: throne room as well when that right. music's. Yeah, the you know, big, and, the, and the lightsaber battle and the music's coming in, the choir's just going, oh. Yeah, oh, and that's, the, the that's whole just, the second Death Star battle and the Super yeah. Star
1: Destroyer. The shield's still up. What are we going to do? <laughs> right. And I don't even care about the. I, I like the Ewoks just fine. Admittedly, I was a kid when the movie came out, so I, I was the target
0: audience. I, for I've that. never. I've had but, a problem with the Ewoks. They happen to be, that's what the aliens were on that moon. Yeah. On that moon of Endor. So deal with it. So what, they look like that. That's just the way it was.
1: Right. It worked out well. So, I mean, it's still, it's still a great movie, still a part of my childhood and it's still Star Wars at its best. Yes. All right. Well, there you go. So that is our top 10 for 1983 and that is our episode.
0: Yeah. Get in touch and let us know your favorite films of 1983 because there were lots that could have made our list, but didn't tell us whether you agree with our list or what, uh, what hidden gems that that should have been on our list that you love. Just get in touch. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and email email us at after the ending at Verizon.net. And leave comments on any of the podcast places where you're listening to us on.
1: Yeah, for goodness sake, go leave us a review if you don't mind. It really does help us out. Just take five seconds. Go to iTunes or wherever. Leave us a positive review.
0: We really would appreciate it. Yeah. Say, I really enjoyed that on five stars or however many stars you you, do, you want to give us there you go
1: all right so phil tell people what they can expect to hear from us next week
0: so next week we're going after the ending of main girls and the last unicorn a bit of a, a bit of a mix there yeah. and we'll be doing our top 10 favorite movies of 1964
1: should be a fun episode but before we sign off don't forget after the outtakes we will have our spoiler filled review slash conversation about avengers infinity war so stick around for that if you've already seen it if you've uh, then after the outtakes are over, we'll still give you plenty of warning. Don't worry. We're not going to jump right in with a spoiler. Uh, but stick around for that if you'd like to listen. So, as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm
0: Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. I don't know exactly when or for how long, so...
1: Oh, that doesn't sound frustrating at all. Oh,
0: no, it's just... Uh.
1: Jaguar par... Yeah. Jaguar par. Jaguar par. Okay. Jaguar... <laughs> <laughs> okay i can say this i thought of something as i was reading that i wanted to add to my ending i don't want to forget it so
0: sorry okay Ooh, so it's a, it's a mid wow okay yeah look at that well it's like being in a proper writer's room now <laughs> we need to get some interns in so we can send them out for coffee oh absolutely that's what we need is interns yeah. although if we only have the one and the, so one of us is going to get a coffee the other right. one's gonna to have to wait about eight hours for the flight to get here <laughs> exactly Plus, I don't even drink coffee, so that would be really a waste of time. Yeah, you just as the, the yeah. intern flies eight hours across, right. turns up with the coffee, and just pick it up and, and sip it and go, that's disgusting, and throw it in his face. Right.
1: This is why I don't drink coffee, because it's yeah. gross. You idiot. What the hell were you thinking? <laughs> so, if anybody out there wants to apply for an internship, you can see what a life of glamour uh,
0: awaits you here. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Ah, ow. Oh, you, you okay? Mm, yeah. You sure?
1: Oh, yeah, that was me not taking off my headphones pulling my computer off the desk, and then landing the on desk. my foot, landing oh, on sorry. my foot, the whole laptop right on my foot. So that oh, was crap. the uh, sequence of events you just heard right there.
0: As long as you're okay, it sounded like you'd really, you know, I thought I was going to have to call the, try and find a number for yes, you. Yes, know, call a 911,
1: please. and then they can hop on the plane with the intern, and yeah. eight hours later they can come over here and, and help me. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, give me a second. I forgot the Yeah, sure, answer. yeah. I'm doing that this time. Not going to lie, that, that really hurts.
0: It, it sounded it. What I was listening to, it did sound like something horrific. I did have visions of like a bookcase had fallen on you. Yeah, right. Well, in my
1: office, know. that wouldn't be a surprise. But And then
0: a motorbike had come flying through the window and things yeah. like that. <laughs> the bus driver hits me. Yeah, that
1: bus driver. <laughs> All right. Now my foot really hurts. So this is going to be fun to do this now. It's okay.
0: You don't talk with your foot. That's
1: right. <laughs> Thanks for the sympathy, Phil. <laughs> Trivia Lipto?
0: Trivia, no, Trivia see, Lipto. Just, that's why I just went without it. It's, it's Trivia like, Lipto sounds like some it, it, kind of board game that you play once and I go, what the hell was that?
1: Or or it sounds like one of those medicines that has 37 side effects, yeah. you know, that you see on TV. Ask your doctor before using Trivia Lipto. Side effects may include-
0: Death. Yeah. Death by Mayans or aliens. Yeah, death by Mayans. You take a sip of it <laughs> and suddenly got, a mine appears from nowhere and throws a spear you. Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, well, I get that. I yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure if you were going to go with full-on Nathan Summers, or, but then uh, the fact that he's the daughter of yeah. uh, the son. Jeez. Oh, that would be really weird. <laughs>
0: yeah. My name's Nathan Pendleton. I'm the daughter of <laughs>
1: <laughs> Women are very masculine in the future. <laughs> and they
0: can if they want to be. That's right. Nothing, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Okay. That's, uh, that's 1983. Oh, and also, because the uh, Stranger Things Season 2 was set in 1983, as was X-Men Apocalypse. No. Just, you know
1: night stranger things season two couldn't have been set in 83 because they're wearing ghostbusters costumes and ace ghostbusters came out in
0: 84 oh yeah oh forget that scratch that i'll just leave that off yeah
1: god that was about the nerdiest thing i've ever said in my entire life yeah because that was straight
0: (laughs) off you just knew that i did like without even missing a beat oh man there wasn't any hold on a minute i just want to check something oh you're wrong phil that was just (laughs) nope i know for a fact which is good yeah
1: i uh it's amazing that I uh, have uh, I'm married. <laughs>
0: All
1: right, so I think you go first this week. So I'll, I'll lead into you. No, you go first. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, you go first. No, you go first. No, I love what you more. What does mine more. say? <laughs> Sweet. What does mine say? Dude.
0: get our defenses and get this man a shield. Okay, welcome, listener. Mike and myself are going to be talking about Avengers Infinity War, which has been out for, by the time this comes out, it's been out for like a week and a half, maybe?
1: Yeah, something, a couple of weeks, whatever, yeah. yeah.
0: Anyway, it's been out, so if you've seen it... And you know there 's going to be spoilers, but if you 've seen it, it doesn 't matter, and if you 're still listening and you haven 't seen it, it means you don 't care but one final spoiler warning we 're going to be talking about what happens in the film, so it 's going to be giving away lots of stuff and if you 've been waiting ten years to see it, then you know switch this off now
1: right right exactly we are, We have given you as much warning as we possibly could, so yeah. I don't want to hear any complaints. All right, so let's get into Avengers: Infinity War. Like we said, Phil, we only do this for really big movies. I think the only other one we really did it for was uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's not a regular feature, but sometimes a movie comes out that's just so big and so impactful, you have to talk about it. So Avengers: Infinity War. Let's start with the simple question: What'd you think?
0: Oh, I loved. it. I thought it was brilliant. Okay. I thought I thought it was extremely well made. I thought it was a nice combination of all the uh, the setup from all the previous films. Uh, some great character building moments as well, and we finally saw why Thanos is such a you know such a badass and such such a great villain. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What did you think of it?
1: I, I really liked it a lot. I, I I wish I'd had a chance to see it a second time before we got around to talking about it because I feel like it's a movie. There, there's so
0: much going on. Oh yeah, I've seen it twice now. Ah, uh, see, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen it since yeah yeah I, I, with my
1: I haven't had a chance yet to see the second time i do have plans to i just i haven't gotten to it yet um but i feel like there's just so much going on that i really needed a second viewing to to take it all in and to process it all but yeah i mean i, I really loved it and it was one of those movies where the the further i got from watching it the, the the longer i sat with it the more i liked about it too you know what i mean yeah 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 um so it's yeah it's pretty it's pretty darn fantastic
0: and it's very dark as well went through look. To- it's uh, lots of things happened. Well, lots of people died that I didn't expect. Right. Even before you know the ending, there was lots. There was quite a few character deaths. Well, even in the opening, the opening scenes, you know, on the which was straight after Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah. We just we see Thanos and uh well, we see Thanos just cut loose on the Hulk. I, I, I like the fact he got that out of the way because you know you're thinking, well, the Hulk's there's going to be a big smackdown with the Hulk and Thanos. That'll probably be near the end. Right. But they did it within like the first five minutes. Yeah. And I like that. And Than he just saw Thanos just wailed on him and just destroyed the Hulk, which was great. Yeah, yeah, it was very yeah, cool. It was really good, and it just set the scene so well, and then we have, you know, they killed off one of the major characters right in the opening as well, not the Hulk, but... Uh... but you can say it, because we're spoiler-filled, remember? Yeah, well, Loki, Loki, yeah. yeah, got strangled. Yes. And maybe this time it was for real, but who knows with Loki. Yeah,
1: it's hard to say, you know, because certainly he could, if anybody can come back, Loki can, but, you know, it depends yeah. on, I guess, if they have a use for him. I mean, he's such a popular character that, its you know, it's hard to say, but... Uh, I I could see him being one of the more permanent deaths,
0: you know. Yeah, but but he, Loki did have a connection with Thanos for, ever since uh, the Avengers first Avengers right, film, right? Because he was sort of working for him then, wasn't he? But uh, yeah, that was a great opening. Really enjoyed that bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because now it seems like isn't isn't Asgard pretty much dead? Because all the Asgardians were on that ship, and that ship got blown up.
0: Yeah, but there's a bit later on when you hear Thor's talking to someone, he says uh, half, half the Asgardians escaped. Yeah,
1: okay, he says they escaped, I didn't catch that yeah. part. Right. Oh,
0: also, yeah, Heimdall as well, Idris Elba's yep. character died, I think he's going to be one of the permanent deaths for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's not that essential, as much as I like yeah. him, it's not like you can't survive the Marvel Universe without him.
0: But I reckon uh, yeah, Valkyrie and Korg and the oh, the insect guy from Thor Ragnarok, I reckon they escaped as well.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, they can bring him back in a future installment.
0: And some, are and out there, we've still got Lady Sif, She's still knocking about, right? Right. Yep. Which makes me wonder whether it's like one of the, the later phases. Could she become Lady Thor? Oh yeah, I can see where they would go with that. Could be a good way of doing it, and a bit different from the comic book. But right. That's, uh, right. That's that. But then the, the the action we move to Earth. Yep. And um, when the Hulk, the Hulk crashes into Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum, uh which was a, it was a good way of getting the Hulk back to Earth, and a good way to carry the story off and carry the message that Thanos was coming along. But uh, right. But what did you think of Thanos then when we first we first saw him and voiced by? And acted by Josh Brolin.
1: Well, I have to say that's one of the the best parts of the movie for me. You know, I've been a, yeah. a Thanos fan for, you know, I mean, literally decades. I mean, it's going on like 25 years now, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, I remember reading those first comics with him.
1: Yeah, and I, and I mean, he's been one of my absolute favorite villains and comic book characters for years and years and years and years. And years. So... The fact that they got him so right was a huge relief for me because I really wanted them not to screw up Thanos. You know what I mean? And and they didn't.
0: Yeah, because I was worried it was going to be like a Steppenwolf from Justice League. I am here, I am evil, I'm going to be evil just for the sake of being evil. Right,
1: and it's funny because I was just going to say, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I was like, you know, I watched Justice League you know, what last year, I didn't dislike it, I thought it was a perfectly fine film, so I can't even remember who the villain was in that film and I was like, was it it Magog or who? And he was like, wasn't it Steppenwolf? I'm like, oh yeah that's right. Literally couldn't even remember who the villain was because he was so generic and whereas here it's now like, Thanos is literally like a household name overnight, you know, and that's the difference between Marvel and DC movies, and I don't want to get into bagging on DC movies but like yeah yeah marvel you know created this villain who is just i mean just i mean one of like i don't want to say rivaling darth vader but i mean really an iconic villain that's going to be you know talked about and on merchandise and stuff for the rest of time from here on out you know and it's because they got him right
0: yeah suddenly, suddenly this character we've loved is now it's in the public domain now people everybody likes i like the fact that the main thing i liked about it is the fact for Thanos, He's the good guy. <laughs> right, right. That's part of what makes him so great. Everything he's doing, he's thought this all through. He's doing what he does to save the universe, right. and his mind. Right, exactly. No matter the cost, because he's the only one. With the uh, with the balls to do it,
1: yeah, yeah, and that's what makes him so cool. Yeah. He's not just trying to rule the universe, and that's—I mean, even at the end of the movie, it's not like he's like lording over the universe. He's sitting on, like, you know, off by himself in a little house yeah. watching the sunrise because his mission is accomplished.
0: Like s like he said he would. Yeah, yeah. he'd, he'd accomplished what he wanted to do. That's all he wanted to do. He wanted to make the universe a better place for everybody who was still left
1: right did you catch at the end by the way at the end of the credits where it usually says like the avengers will return it said yeah, Thanos Thanos will will return. Return. yeah oh, that was I brilliant. love
0: that that was great yeah so good um, but it's yeah but it's i like the fact as well this was basically thanos's film we've seen him teased and all the way through but this was his film because we mainly followed him right didn't we it was him yeah. going around getting the gems and then there was all the other characters sort of just playing catch up trying to forget what was going on Going to these different places, but it was mainly seeing Thanos and some of the things he had to do to get these, get the gems. Right, right. And also a story, a story with Gamora as well. I like the whole dynamic with that. Learning more about that.
1: Yeah, that was really cool. And the scene, I love that scene. I mean, where first of all, how cool to see the Red Skull again.
0: Oh, that that was that totally surprised me when he turned up. When it's when that figure was there, I was going. Who is that? I
1: was thinking it was Who's Adam Warlock be? maybe. They were going to go with Adam yeah, Warlock, yeah. you know, but uh, obviously not. Um an interesting trivia tidbit, did you know that that was not Hugo Weaving?
0: Yeah, well, I, th- I thought that it was – because I didn't, I didn't sound like him. I thought it was – Right, uh,
1: but it was uh, It was actually Ross Marquand who plays Aaron on The Walking Dead, who is uh, – I really like him a lot. Oh, he's a
0: very good. He does very good impressions as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, but
1: anyway, uh, so that was cool. And then that whole scene where, you know, I, I love how Gamora laughs at him because she's like, you don't love anything, so you can't get the soul stone. And then he turns out he does, and he yeah. sacrifices her, and he gets it. And it was like – and you see him like – you, know, you really saw what it took out of him yeah, as well. It's really yeah, yeah. Because even though he's this evil, evil bastard, he still does have you know, feelings as buried as they may be and yeah. as limited as they may be for certain people. But she clearly means something to him. And I thought that scene was just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I maybe would have liked a
0: few more flashbacks just to show why exactly she did mean so much to him. Right, yes. But, I mean, the movie but, was uh, already almost three hours long. So I, I Yeah, get yeah, that. that's, the th- that's the thing. There was there was, there was lots of... I can understand right. why they didn't do that. But, uh, yeah, that whole scene on that planet yeah. to get the soul gem was, uh, was amazing. And then when I liked the whole thing with... Uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch. I'm glad yeah. that relationship is built. Yeah,
1: I was glad to see that just, they went that yeah. way with the, with the, as they did in the comics. Yep.
0: Yeah, did they just go with it? You know, he's an android, she's a woman. Let's just do it. Right, right, right. Exactly. It's, it's good. And then uh, also the that was a great fight scene in Edinburgh as well with the uh, with Vision, and Scarlet Witch, and the I can't remember the names of those bad guys, but I, I thought it was a great fight. And then when uh, Captain America turned up, yes, yes, oh. I just think went whoa brilliance. And there's Black Widow and Falcon, and you realise. I like the way you just got the feel. You could tell that they they've been doing what they do. Yeah, you know, on you know off the radar for as long as they could. Which is great. It
1: tells you something when it's like, you know, Captain America is going to be in this movie because he's all over the marketing. And still, when his shield shows up and you get chills because you're like, oh, Cap is here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. even though you knew it was coming. I mean, not at that moment, but you knew he was going to show up and you still were like, oh, yes. You know, now now it's getting good.
0: Yeah, it's good as well, though, because of the bits, bit of the start when you've got uh, Tony Stark meets the Doctor Strange and he's talking to to Bruce Banner, you know, and Banner saying, What is does call Cap. Just call Cap because he right, didn't know right, what it fought, yeah. you know, all the fallout of the uh, yep. Civil War and stuff. And I like that the fact, and even then, Stark's going, Well, I don't know. And he's. Right. I, I, it's, it was a good thing with Stark, was the fact that he had all this doubt ever since Avengers when he went through the wormhole. Yes. And since then, he's had, you know, PTSD we saw in Iron Man 3 and all this stuff. But it's. Right. That's been his const- That's the reason he built Ultron and all these things was to protect everybody from. What he knew was out there, and finally, it's coming, and did it so well. I love the fact that uh, Stark and Strange just didn't get on. Right,
1: right. I think that's because they're obviously they're very similar characters, so they might yeah yeah. yeah. But it's interesting because I didn't expect Doctor Strange to be in it as much as he was. Yeah. I thought he had a much bigger part than I expected, which I'm totally okay with. I thought I mean Benedict Cumberbatch is great, and I love him as that character. But I was surprised to see what a big part he played. But I, I will say this. At first, I was pissed off when he gave Thanos the Infinity Gem because I was like, why would he do that to save Stark? Like, Doctor Strange is a stand-up guy. He wouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would sacrifice Stark to save the world, you know what I mean? And then after thinking about it, I was like, he had to because he saw all those eventualities and he realized there was only one in which the heroes win, and I think that that was part of it. I think he, he realized that the only way to beat Thanos... And I don't know how yet, but the only way to beat him was to give him the stone at that
0: time and save Stark's life. Yes, because Stark has to survive for them to have any hope of putting things right. Right,
1: right. And I don't know if it's to get, you know, how how it's going to play out, but I think it's going to be revealed later on that Doctor Strange didn't just do it to save Stark's life, but because he knew that if he didn't, then it was going to be one of the 14 million ways that they lose, you know.
0: I'm also wondering whether when he was looking at all the different futures, did he actually travel back through time? Because I'm wondering whether, you know, the end credits of Ant Man and the Wasp. Is, is Doctor Strange going to turn up and say, listen, it's all gone to hell right. in a few days' right, time. Right. This is what you need to do, blah, 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 We'll wait see for that.
1: certainly possible. It's interesting because, you know, I, I get why Ant-Man wasn't in it because, you know, they were filming their own yeah, movie, yeah. which had to come out at the same time. But the one I don't understand is why Hawkeye wasn't in it.
0: Well, again, he was meant to be with his family. Yeah, I get
1: that. Was, I, know, yeah. I mean, I know they put yeah. a line in to explain it, but that doesn't explain it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't get, like... He was such a big part of Avengers: Age of Ultron.
0: I think he's going to be a huge part of Avengers four. Uh, see,
1: I see. I guess that would make more sense then. I because I, because I, I, I recognize that arrows against Thanos are useless, but it's not like he couldn't yeah. have done stuff during the big fight scene in Wakanda with all the creatures and stuff. So it was just an it was just conspicuously absent to me. It
0: was odd yeah, it's odd that he wasn't in there at all. Yeah. Right. It wasn't
1: like. I just didn't find that the line of explanation wasn't a good enough reason. Because to me, it just was like, oh, well, he's not in this movie. We didn't put a part in for him. So let's just cover it up with this line.
0: I I reckon he's going to be a major player in Avengers 4. I reckon some of his family will have disappeared. Oh, yeah. After Thanos clicked his fingers. I mean,
1: it makes sense because they're going to be short on characters.
0: I like the way uh, the Guardians as well. I thought they were great. I love the introduction to them. Yes, yes you No, know, the music as well but also the fact that we finally saw you know what a team they are when they went up against spider-man and iron man and, and basically beat them right right yeah you know that, that battle until you know they all it all became like uh they end up capturing each other and they do, until they both realized they were all good guys but you saw that uh, star lord you know he took on iron man and was all over him yeah yeah and the, you saw how similar the two characters were you suddenly realized yeah all the technology that star lord uses is similar to uh Iron Man, but the fact is, Star Lord just buys it or steals it. Right, right. Whereas Iron Man exactly, makes it exactly, yeah. And also, they, when uh, they they get Thor and they're all going, "Oh my god, look, <laughs> this isn't a dude, this is a man." Yeah, yeah, I,
1: I did enjoy, I enjoyed that, and and with you know, Star Lord trying not to be overshadowed by him, you know, I'm
0: talking like him as well.
1: I also loved the fact that. You know, of all the characters to sort of screw up their chance to beat Thanos when they were pulling the Infinity Gauntlet off his hand, it was Star Lord that did it. But it was for a different yeah. reason than because he's a screw up. It was because of yeah. you know, pure emotion. I, I thought that that was really well done. But but
0: also when that's going on and, and Stark shouting at at Star Lord saying keep it together, you could see that Stark was just thinking back to it was you know in Civil War when he was uh, yeah he lost it with Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Yep. He realized that if you just let it take over you'll just end up losing everything right right but he could understand it but uh yeah and spider-man i thought uh tom holland was great just building on that he's fantastic i mean homecoming. he was
1: great yeah. in civil war the little bit that he was in I, spider-man homecoming was just f- phenomenal and he was really terrific here i mean he just he really has taken that role and made it his own and, and i i think at this point he is my favorite spider-man hands down
0: oh totally i love the way he's always trying to impress stark yes. and you know he was in space and using plots from a film yeah aliens <laughs> so great because, yeah and uh Also, the bit at the end when he was going, you know, he's going... Yeah. You could just see because... Because Stark had told him what to go, and I think that was the biggest, the biggest cut for Tony Stark was, you know, Peter Parker disappearing. Yes. And apparently, Tom Holland improvised his lines for the final scene. Oh wow, cool! Which makes it. I think he'd been watching some of David Tennant's Doctor Who though. For I don't want to go, but <laughs> right, uh, right. no, he did it really well, and it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking seeing them all go when Thanos snaps his fingers and yeah, some of them were just totally unexpected. Right, right,
1: yeah, and it's funny because I know that people a lot of the reactions online have been, "Oh my god, I was gutted at the end of Infinity War," you know, and and I was like, I guess that. I didn't have that reaction as much because I've read the comics, you know.
0: Yeah, well, I, I have as well, but I still, still, just go on with the, you know, the emotional impact of like uh, Black Panther disappearing in front of his bodyguard and all that stuff. It's just right.
1: No, I get that, but it's like you just even just from a, a practical, real world application. You know, they're going to be back. You know, there's another Black yeah, Panther yeah, movie yeah. in the schedule. There's Another Spider-Man movie. You know, like obviously this isn't this isn't permanent
0: unless they're all they're all set before Infinity War. Stop it. But you know, because Captain Marvel is
1: right. But that's a prequel. But I mean, that's a set. It's an origin story. I mean, but I, I just you know, the fact is, they're not going to keep all of these characters dead. They are going to find a way to bring them back. So oh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I certainly thought it was powerful, but I didn't. I didn't have the same gut reaction, I think, that some people... I, I like have. the
0: way they did it, though, to be honest, where it just wasn't... He it snapped his fingers and just everybody just disappeared. Right. It was like it was just this, this gradual, you know, people just turning into dust and drifting away and realizing that they were going. I really thought that was nicely done. Yes. And in fact, it was so quiet. Right. It was just... Yeah, and they were just gone. Yeah,
1: I have to say there was a scene that I really loved, um, which was when uh, Scarlet Witch was fighting. I think it was Proxima Black uh, in the end, the towards in the Wakanda battle. Yeah, yeah, and she says, you know, you could never win this fight alone. And then you know, Black Widow and Okoye, you know, show up and they're like, she's not alone. And then you know, I love that moment right there. You know, yeah. when it's like this solidarity of these three kind of you know sisters in arms. You know, really all three great sort of warriors slash you know powerful you know mutants and like just that idea of the three of them then teaming up to fight her i, I thought that was really cool but i just love that moment no
0: it was i was good to see finally see you know, how powerful scholar Witch is yeah
1: yeah for sure
0: uh what else thor as well i love the scenes with thor yeah 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 going to uh going to get a new weapon and um, and peter dinklage as a dwarf as, as the ultimate dwarf i just thought that was fantastic great scenes as well and uh, yeah. shows just how how powerful Thor is, yep. and it just you know taking on the full the full force of a star.
1: Yeah, and I love that they brought in Stormbreaker, which is a nice nod to the comics. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that Beta Ray Bill is going to show up at any point, but I just love that they you know they gave him that weapon and it, just more little you know treats for the comics yeah. fans.
0: And the fact it was Groot Groot you know sacrificed parts of himself right, to make right. the, you know yeah. the hammer yeah. parts of the hammer. Yeah. And also, I, I must admit I always put you know was going yeah when uh, Thor just uses Stormbreaker to use the Bifrost and appears in the middle of the battle right. and just lays waste to all these you know those monsters.
1: They also sort of set that up with Thor Ragnarok because up until then they really he didn't realize how much power he had. So yeah, I like yeah. the fact that he sort of set it up in the third film to sort of teach him how to be that powerful, and that way in this film you know, it really worked that he was able yeah. to, to channel that.
0: But I, I did like the way the pairing, well, the way they teamed up different people you wouldn't normally, you normally wouldn't see, like the fact it was Thor, Rocket, and Groot. Yeah. And they all worked so well. Rocket, you know, you forget how, how what what a good character Rocket is. He's all like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do this, do that. And, <laughs> yeah. But when he goes, oh, I've got to be the captain now. Yeah. And, you know, he, he spoke to Thor because he knew Thor was hurting and talked it over with him. I yep. also love the fact when he saw Winter Soldier, he was going, I'm having that arm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: They did a very good job, I think, of balancing out the use of characters, you know, very few characters got the short shrift. Everyone got their screen time. Everyone had their moment. Everyone had their action scene. Um, You know, I I think, uh, if anything, Captain America could use a little more time. um,
0: Yeah, I I thought that, but I think, I think because it's – well, it surprised me as well that the the main heroes surviving were, you know, the original Avengers. Right, right.
1: Well, I think when you have a a cosmic story like this too, I mean, it makes more sense to take like Iron Man and Spider-Man and Doctor Strange into space than it does Captain America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. um, And I thought that Wakanda might have had a bigger part, but I guess they couldn't have foreseen just how big – Black Panther was going to be before they made this movie. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I know. but uh, but I think they did a good job of balancing out the characters and and you know giving everyone their time.
0: Yeah, and I thought uh, the CG effects were just were absolutely amazing because there's so much so much of it, so many CG characters as well. Yeah, Woody said, Thanos as well. He got so much emotion out of it; It was incredible. But his uh, is it was it the Black Order? Is that there? Was, team yeah yeah i believe so i think they were, they were all brilliant i love the one that was uh going up against doctor strange you know yeah, just he was great fly, flying around like a whirlwind of rubble yeah and the bits the bits when he raises up some bricks with his telekinesis so and he just they just sort of all suddenly swirl and bits fall off and then there's suddenly these brick spikes flying towards it and uh yeah yeah real good uh, you know at the end when uh stark's fighting thanos though he? and he and he punches him and scratches him and then thanos goes all oh, that for a little bit of blood was it worth it right do you think do you think thanos's blood is going to play into it do you think it's going to Mm, I don't I'm think so thinking.
1: Mm. I don't think so I think that was just really meant to show how powerful he is that all that yeah. and all he did was basically nick him you know and then obviously there was the uh, the, the post-credits scene which was very cool uh, although I'm sure that the non-comics fans out there probably had no idea what it meant and had to all go searching yeah, the internet yeah. to figure out what that was about Uh, but obviously setting up for Captain Marvel to appear in the next film.
0: I must admit, when I saw it with my daughter, she loved the film, by the way, when we stayed for them and she's watching, she's going, oh, yeah, it's Nick Fury, yeah, yeah, uh, and then that came up, and the thing came up, and she went, "Is that mean Captain Marvel? Oh, wow. I went, yeah, I'm yeah. so proud of you.
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a point of showing that logo to my family before the film so that yeah. the, they will know. I, you know, I'm not going to tell them where it comes up, but just so that you know, when they see it, they're not like, what the heck? Because yeah. there was definitely people in my theater who were like, what the hell? What was that?
0: I know, because it, sort of, it just sort of leaves and you go, oh, okay. But I, I liked as well Nick Fury, though, as well. He saw, he saw Maria Hill just turn to dust. Yeah. And he saw, you know, going on and he realized... Things were going really bad. And his first thoughts, because he he could probably feel that he was going to go next, but he just made sure, you know, he's pushing a person away. He just made sure to get to that beeper and send that message. I just like the fact he's just, he's always been so committed to saving the, you know, humanity. He just did it, even though he knew he was going to disappear. Right, right. Yeah. When uh, Thanos... You know, I was fight, fighting, you know, Star Lord and Iron Man and Spider Man, and then he got the time gem and disappeared. And then Star Lord's just going, "What? What happened? Did we just lose?" And when they suddenly all the heroes realize, you know, that this it looks like they've, they've lost, and it just you could just see them all going, "I don't understand it. Right. How has this happened?" Right. It, was, it was amazing to see that. And when Thor, you know, he, take, he finally, you know, when, I, I like the way Thanos appears on Earth as well in Wakanda, and he just walks through people, just moving them, phasing them, whatever, yeah. and then, you know, reverses time, gets the final gem. And I was going, well, why isn't Thor there? But he must have been mopping up, the, you know, the things. And he just appears and just goes, Shoo Right. Throws the axe. And he's just gone, you know, right in. And then you're going, wow, that's brilliant. He's pushing it in. And even then, though, Thanos goes, you should have gone for the head. Yeah. And just, Oh, yeah. Such a great and, Thanos moment. Yeah. <laughs> and Thor just going, what was that? What happened? What did you do? Right.
1: I will say my, my only real complaint is is not even about the movie itself. It's that at the end credits... I uh, pay a lot of attention to the credits. Apparently, the uh, the it says you know first thing it says is you know based on the comics of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and that's it. And then later on, it says the producers wish to extend us very special thanks to Jim Starlin for his contribution. But oh, he created Thanos. So, didn't he? Well, it's not only that he created Thanos because he did and Gamora. But I mean this yeah. this storyline and the
0: Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah,
1: this storyline, all the Infinity Gems, it's all taken straight out of his comics. I mean, they they changed some stuff, but the whole idea of Thanos collecting this gauntlet with all these gems. To kill half the life in the universe—that is all, 100%. Jim Starlin. So to me, it's like, you know, yeah, it's based on the comics of, of you know, Lee and Kirby because they created a lot of these characters. But the whole story of the film is based on Jim Starlin. I just think they could have said based on the comics by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Jim Starlin. Yeah. Again, it's a nitpick, but I just think that considering how much of his story they took. He could have gotten a bigger credit.
0: Oh, definitely, because it is as I just say the main the main thrust of all of the Marvel films have been based on him, right? Right. You know, Thanos and the the, and the Infinity Gems.
1: Yeah, and this one especially. I mean, it really took the whole concept. I mean, he wrote a whole series of comics about Thanos collecting the Infinity Gems and trying to kill off half the universe and and fighting all the heroes at once. I mean, it's it's right from the comics, so...
0: Yeah, and well, in the comic, though, he's doing it, isn't he? Because he's in love with death and he wants to... He's trying to impress her, so she loves him.
1: Yes, but he does also, in earlier issues, that's part of it, but he does still yeah. also believe that the universe is overpopulated and, and out of balance and he needs to kill half the universe. It's kind of a double a double whammy I, for I, him.
0: I, I can see why they left having death out of it, because then you sort of feel like, oh, well, he's working for somebody, but just having Thanos just as himself doing this. And that's right, it. and
1: it could be cheesy, yeah. depending on how they, how they did it. It, yeah
0: yeah i th- you know i think it, i think it worked the way they did it so but i i think i think they had so many characters and so many things they needed to do it could have been an absolute total mess they could have just yeah, totally yeah. dropped the ball it could have been the worst marvel film so far but i just think they did they did a hell of a thing with it yes uh just had so many different stories you know little stories that all came together all you know as part of this one big thing and i just think they did a great job getting all the characters had a chance to shine yep they had, they had some moments of comedy some moments of horror Right. I just think it was supremely well made and I, I can't wait to see what they do with Avengers 4.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. At least you only have to wait a year. Yeah. All right. Well that is Avengers Infinity War. I think we've said our piece. Yes. Yes. All right. Well there you go. So spoiler warning over and uh we'll see you next week.